The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. This morning's scripture reading comes from the first book of Kings, chapter 19, verses 1 to 8. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness, and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mount of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord God, You have declared that your kingdom is among us. Open our eyes to see it, our ears to hear it, our hearts to hold it, and our hands to serve it. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Christ Prayers. My name is Paul Lim. I've been serving here since uh, January 2016 as a scholar in residence, as well as teaching at Vanderbilt University in the history of Christianity area. So um, great to see you here today in person as well as on Zoom, not on Zoom, excuse me, not on Zoom, way too many Zoom calls on, online. So, <laughs> well, um, great to see you all uh, nonetheless. So um, we are going through our series of sermons on Prophet Elijah and it's uh, entitled Extraordinary Power Through Ordinary People. Can I be uh, just very honest with you uh, about this? I'm really trying to like Elijah. I really am. I find him complicated, mysterious, and hard to relate to. He's at best enigmatic. And at worst, he is scary and even repulsive. Or make no mistake about that, too. I like Ahab and Jezebel much, much less. And I don't, you know. So no contest or comparison there. And yet, I find I have to try to like Elijah, making fun of those with whom he disagreed theologically. To exacerbate the likability rating, he goes and slaughters those false prophets of Baal. Not the kind of person I like to enjoy a nice glass of iced tea on my front porch, mind you. I kicked off the series, uh, Elijah series, three weeks ago at our Cool Springs uh, location and struggled with him then. However, in today's message and our passage that was just read for us, I come across a man 
that I could actually relate to. Even though it's highly unlikely that Elijah had anything to do with the writing of the first book of Kings, it is quite likely that the tradition and stories about Elijah must have originated with him. And there is quite a bit of significance to that point, as we'll see in just a little bit. And for that reason, I find the humanity and humility of Elijah seen in this passage actually deeply appealing and alluring. To get to it, we will have four points today. Four points. Since summer attendance at CPC can be sometimes tricky, I wanted to reward you by giving you an extra point. One more from typical three points. You might say, well, whoa, 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 that's not the kind of point, extra point I need, but there you have it. And I'll actually go through them rather quickly so you won't even know that there are four. So we'll look at Elijah and the cry of the soul from these four vantage points. One, life under threat. Two, life under exhaustion. Three, life under divine care. Four, life under the cross. Life under threat, life under exhaustion, life under divine care, and life under the cross. So let's get to them right away. Firstly, life under threat. We have just read here that Jezebel, this um, kind of archetypal um, wicked uh, person in, in Hebrew scriptures, uh, married to Ahab and led the entire nation of Israel away from following Yahweh, Jezebel heard about this catastrophe that had happened to her own prophets and peeps. So she swore that she will ensure that Elijah meet the same fate as did all the prophets of Baal. When someone is breathing down your neck, threatening to kill you, it is so easy for us to lose directions and bearings, and I don't know about you, but I will do that without fail every single time. What I find deeply encouraging from this story of Elijah is Elijah is all too human and completely ordinary response. What does he do when he hears the words of Elijah? Uh, Jezebel saying that tomorrow I am going to make sure that you end up dead just like my prophets did. What does he do? He basically gets up, takes off, running away, escaping. Remember, though, that Elijah was the OG rain man, right? I mean, he was the rain man. He prayed and the sky opened up after several years of drought. And he confronted the prophets of Baal single-handedly, and God responded and listened to Elijah's prayer. So thus far in our series, we have seen this spectacular, mighty, and, and prophetic, and courageous, and even at times kind of violent kind of man, uh, Elijah. And yet, when his threat came, threat came for his own life. He simply and completely caved in. And so the question is, would I do any differently? Life under threat. Thankfully for most of us, our life is not under threat. Nobody's actually breathing down our neck and say, I'm going to actually take your life away tomorrow. So how do we then kind of resonate? How does this story resonate with us? For me, it resonated with me rather deeply because in many ways, kind of a, a metaphysical ways and figural ways, some of us may feel that our life is under threat. Maybe it is a prolonged illness of someone that you love. Maybe it is this kind of unsolved problem that you have, whether in the family relations, whether work relations. And so we may feel that our life is under threat. 
It may not be manifesting itself as somebody actually telling you quite literally, "I'm going to kill you." Nonetheless, nonetheless, I think the story of Elijah here really kind of unpacks for us a beautiful human story of somebody who, after having done something truly extraordinary, and yet, and yet, when he's utterly alone in his kind of more human moments, he completely caves in and runs away from scene. And that leads me. To my second point, I told you it'll be very quick. These four points: life under exhaustion. We'll park our kind of theological vehicles there and stay there a little bit. Life under exhaustion. See, here's a very interesting aspect of、uh, Elijah's emotional life, right? And we get a kind of insight into this that I think is really, really remarkable and helpful. He lay down under the bush and fell asleep. It says, "What was he expecting?" I mean, notice the language here, right? And he runs away in verse three. He was afraid and ran for his life. And then, when he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there. And then he went one extra day's journey. That means he's thinking very intentionally that I'm going to say goodbye to my servant, my friend, and I'm going to go an extra day to be utterly alone. And I'm going to lay myself there and to do what? He says he sat down under the broom tree, and then he says he prayed that he might die. I have had enough. Take my life, Lord. I don't know about you. This is really like when I read this again, you know, to prepare for this message. It really blew me away. Stark contrast, isn't it? You have this kind of powerful confrontation with these mighty prophets of Baal, and you actually prevail over them because of who is on your side. God is on your side, and yet this threat comes, and he goes, and he you know goes or runs away, and he says goodbye to his servant, and maybe the servant didn't even know what was going on. He just kind of left him there and says, "Okay." And then I, I wonder whether he actually told him, "I'll be back" or not. But then a day's extra journey, he sits down and he says, "You know what? Just take my life." Because I'm ready to die. In case like this, I don't know about you, but have you ever been there? Most of us never have, but some of us have. And I want to underscore that fact that in our congregational life together, just because I haven't had an experience like this, does not mean that it is untrue. Does not mean that it is not real. Because some of us in our congregation might have been there. So we want to. I want to at least authenticate that experience. In case like this. The life of Eliza comes to me, and hopefully to us, as a profound encouragement and comfort. Not merely because this awesome and awe-inspiring prophet of God came to the point of fragility and vulnerability to wish to die. Here is another poignant detail about this account. Guess who told others about how Eliza himself felt emotionally after he heard the death warrant on his life? Guess who told others that he wanted to die was his prayer. None other than Elijah himself. Do you hear what I just said? So Elijah must have shared with others that, hey, I came to a point in my life this utter fragility and vulnerability, and near the point of extinction, and I prayed to the Lord that I might die. Well, he told somebody about that because there's no one else around. 
his traveling companion, his servant, wasn't there because he was a day's journey away. So that means he was utterly alone in the presence of God, Coram Deo, and he felt these things emotionally. He said these things to God, and there was no one else humanly speaking to hear it. So Elijah felt that that was very important for posterity's sake and for his contemporaries to know that emotionally I was utterly alone. Emotionally, I was near the point of extinction. Emotionally, I was there, and I actually prayed to God, take my life so that I might die. And to me, in this beautiful summer day, these words come to me as a powerful encouragement because many of us struggle with mental health concerns, starting with me. So when I read these words, I'm just like, whoa, this awesome prophet who never experienced death himself actually felt the, the, the power of these words of Jezebel, saying that tomorrow you're going to die. So you run away and, and you know, I mean, prophet, prophet Elijah believed in the Lord. He saw the mighty work and merciful workings of God. And yet when this problem arose deep within his psyche, he says, take my life away. Here's a man who was severely depressed by the crushing blows of life, frantically scared by the threat of his own life. And this reminds me deeply of the song by R.E.M., Everybody Hurts, which was one of the theme songs for uh, National Suicide Prevention Week several years ago. Some of you may, may know this song. It's one of my, uh, you know, uh, on, on my playlist, on my uh, Spotify. And um, because there are moments when I actually need this song, as I am sure some of us might. When your day's long and the night, the night is yours alone. When you're sure you've had enough of this life, well, hang on. Don't let yourself go because everybody cries. Everybody hurts sometimes. Sometimes everything is wrong, and now it's time to sing along when your day's night alone. Hold on, hold on. If you feel like letting go, hold on. If you think you've had too much of this life, well, hang on. Because everybody hurts. Take comfort in your friends. Everybody hurts. Don't throw your hand. Oh, no, don't throw your hand. If you feel like you're alone, no, 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 you're not alone. The strange comfort of the story of Elijah and the cry of his soul is that we see the, re the kind of response from the God of Elijah in the next point. So Elijah is totally exhausted, life under exhaustion, and there are many who are living in our world, whether as victims of human trafficking or, you know, wages that are completely below human standards, kind of meaningful human standards for sustenance. And life under exhaustion is there for all of us around in this world. Perhaps not as much in our congregation, but we need to open our eyes through the lens of Scripture here in 1 Kings 19 to see more, uh, more uh, global perspective there as well. That actually takes me to my third point, life under divine care. Life under divine care. So we talked about life under threat, life under exhaustion, so we come to this life under divine care. What I find truly remarkable about this point is that, that this response from God is represented by the action of a divine messenger, an angel. So let's see what it says. Okay. So after he says, take my life, I'm no better than my ancestors, he says, just let me die. Then he lay down and went to sleep. And I often wonder about that. When Elijah went to sleep, was he expecting to wake up? 
Was he expecting to wake up or was he just hoping that, you know what, let me not wake up. It's been so hard. You know, I've been trying to serve the Lord. And, and as we'll see next Sunday, I mean, that's, he does have some kind of, you know, back and forth with God about that very issue. And so he was trying to be faithful and he felt like he was utterly and absolutely alone. And then it says in verse 5b, all at once, the angel touched him and said, get up and what? Eat. Is that the response you expected? What response were you expecting? Not this. I don't know what I was, but you know, if I, I don't know, again, there's a kind of levels of surprise about this passage. First of all, you know, the death threat was a bit of a surprise, but big surprise to me was that Elijah wanted to die. And almost equally as big a surprise to me was the response from God. You know, it says get up and eat. There was no rebuking of Elijah for having lost his faith temporarily. There was no ridiculing of Elijah for being a coward. None of it. None at all. Instead, the Lord provides food and drink. Rather than providing for spiritual sustenance, the Lord knows that we are creatures of flesh and blood. Physicality as well as spirituality are necessary mutually codependent part of the human self or human flourishing under God's care. So often in the history of Christianity, there was a tendency to emphasize spirituality at the expense of physicality, although perhaps now, in 2022, the pendulum might have swung the other direction, but who knows? The Lord's incarnation, the, the incarnation of the Word of God in the birth of Jesus Christ, is the clearest proof that God redeemed all of us, all parts of us, just as God gave the people of Israel food from heaven called manna through his servant Moses, so we see the Lord providing the solitary, sad, and scared prophet who was overwhelmed by the frightening threat of a tyrannical queen. What does he provide once again? Food and drink as an assuring and sustaining sign and symbol that God was not only, ang not, only not angry with Elijah, but rather he prepares for him for the journey ahead. Life under divine care. Sometimes what God says to us in our moments of vulnerability and weakness and our fragility will come as a complete surprise. Rather than rebuking us, rather than saying, how can you have no faith like this? God says, eat a little bit more. Here is more food. And notice this too. So then he says, get up and eat. And then looked around and there is by his bed by his head some cake and, and jar of water. Guess what Elijah does? He eats and drinks, and then he's so exhausted, he goes back to sleep again. I don't know, he just doesn't thank the angel, doesn't say like, well, what an awesome God I serve. Just, and, and again, the second time, look, look in verse 7, the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat for the journey is too much for you. Here we see this beautiful divine compassion expressed through the angel. Again, the angels doesn't say, look, you, you didn't thank me for the first meal. Here's another one. Are you going to thank me for this one or not? None of that. Just prepares and, and, and provides the food and says, here it is, because the journey is too much for you. These words really touch me deeply, hopefully touch all of us deeply too. In our moments of weakness, when we feel like, you know, is this really worth it? Should I continue on? The Lord says, you know what, this journey is too much for you, so let me help you. Let me come alongside of you and say, you know what, I am with you. The sign that I'm with you is that I'm going to give you food and drink because in this desert, there's nowhere to find any of that. 
The Lord is basically saying, I am your comfort, I am your strength, I am your sustenance. And that leads me to my fourth and final point of the sermon, life under the cross. Life under the cross. I don't know if you've noticed it here, but we have just talked about Moses and Elijah. What I find really interesting is that Moses stands for the law, and Elijah stands for the prophets in Israel's scriptures. One of the most pivotal moments in the history and the ministry of Jesus happened at the Mount of Transfiguration, as some of you may recall. And the two figures who came from heaven to talk with Jesus were none other than Moses and Elijah. Notice with me in verse 8. Strengthened by that food and drink, it says, he does something that is truly superhuman and extraordinary. He's an ordinary person, but he does something extraordinary. He travels for how many days and how many nights, it says? Forty days and forty nights. Now, does that number sound somewhat familiar to you? Okay, what does forty mean? And it means a number of different things, but one thing, the common thread between Moses, Elijah, and Jesus is they did something for forty days. Forty days for Moses was with God in the mountain of God. And then here, Elijah travels uh, strengthened by the food and drink that God's angel provided. He goes on a journey for 40 days and 40 nights. And what does Jesus do? He spent 40 days with God in the wilderness, fasting and praying in preparation for his earthly ministry. It said in Luke chapter 9, 28 through 35, that when Elijah and Moses talked to Jesus about the departure, they were together and they were talking about his departure. Okay, what departure? Is the word the departure lounge? No, I don't know about that. But do you know that the, the Greek word there, the word departure, uh, you know what that word is? That word is, you got it, exodus. Right, the Greek word there is Exodus. And we have the second book in the Old Testament is Exodus. It is a departure. It is a departing from the life of lostness and rebellion and bondage. In other words, the major salvation event in the Old Testament was Exodus. And the major salvation event in the New Testament was yet another Exodus, this time with Jesus as the protagonist of the plot. Now, why is that so important, you might ask, and I'm glad you did. Do you remember what was needed for the passing over of the Lord's angel of death, which was a key event in the overall drama of redemption in the book of Exodus? Remember, they, there was this kind of, you know, Passover lamb had to be killed. And then what was needed? It was a sacrifice of the Passover lamb whose blood had to be shed and sprinkled or painted on the door frames of each household. Why was that? Where, wherever there was the blood of the lamb, their death the angel of death simply passed over, thus the term Passover even today. Why? Why was that going to be such an important signal and sign? Because that meant that someone else had to die. Something else had to die. So let's think about the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Fast forward a couple of thousands of years, when John the Baptist saw Jesus pass in one day, in the gospel, as recorded in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29, John says these words, Look, the Lamb of God, Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. It is really interesting that it was not sins of the world, it was singular sin of the world. Meaning that the price of our rebellion, our declaration of independence from God, is kind of collected as, a, as, a, as one singular thing. And Christ, just as Adam was our federal head, 
federal representative. Christ is our federal representative because in his act of obedience and righteousness, we are also getting in on the goodies of his act as well. He came to this world, became one of us, that is Jesus, and experienced the pain of fear. A man of sorrows, he was deeply acquainted with all that we are and all that we do, and yet without sin, as the writer of Hebrews says. This is why this particular Puritan preacher and former president of Oxford University in the 1650s, a man named John Owen, said in his commentary on Hebrews that the suffering of Jesus clearly shows that he carried our diseases and healed them all. In this regard, Owen was acknowledging the influence of this Turkish theologian of the 4th century named Gregory Nazianzen, who said that what Christ assumed, he healed. Notice the language. Christ assumes all of humanity, not just spiritual part, but physical part as well. Not just the good part, but the part that was fallen as well. That, all that he assumed, he healed. Looking at salvation as healing of our memories, of our souls, and of our bodies, and of our journey as well. Both Gregory Nazianzen from 4th century Turkey and John Owen from 17th century England, one a Greek-speaking Orthodox theologian and the other English-speaking Congregationalist pastor, said that the depth of Christ's compassion for us and his solidarity with us is clearly shown when Jesus at the Garden of Gethsemane said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrows to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Again, God could have had his son's life worked out in any way he wanted. And yet God chose that his son, Jesus, would go through his life, even through the Garden of Gethsemane, where he says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow and fear, even to the point of death. In some ways, very similar to the journey that Elijah had, but there was a difference. Here's a person who was deeply overwhelmed by the prospect of confronting and being knocked off physical life by the wrath of God and the full-blown ferocity of the judgment of God over sin. So he says, I am overwhelmed to the point of death, so stay with me here. In Luke chapter 22, 44, he said that he drops sweats of blood, extreme duress and incalculable pressure. Why would God allow this to happen to Jesus, we must ask. Life under threat for a lot of us. Life under pressure or depression for perhaps more of us. And life under care of God for our physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. Christ went through all the ups and downs and nooks and crannies of the human existence. He was betrayed by his close friend, his treasurer, his CFO betrayed him. Right? And then... When he was really most desperate and in need of friends, all 12, except for one, had fled. One had sold him for 30 pieces of silver. The other 10 were too scared to be around. So Jesus experienced the experience of rejection, right? Betrayal, being utterly alone, being at the point of death, and plus dying. When Elijah lied down and said, you know, I want to die, Jesus said, you know what, I'm here to die. Not only for myself, but for the sin of the world. This Jesus that I'm inviting all of us to today, to this table, understands what it means to be severely betrayed by the turns of life. What it means to be depressed because of the circumstances and pressures and threats on our life. But none of it would really matter unless we had our Savior who actually went through the length of being depressed on our behalf. 
pressured on our behalf, who actually cried out to the one who sent him. So the writer of Hebrews in chapter 5 verse 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. Let me wrap things up now. So um, some of you know that when I was in college, you know, I, I, I loved being a DJ, and, I, and I, ever since then, I always kind of relate to what I'm talking about with, with songs, uh, and we already talked about R.E.M. song. Uh, it would be unfair for me to just finish with R.E.M. So I want to finish with this uh, new album by Kendrick Lamar. Um, he has an album called Mr. Morrell and the Big Steppers. has a number of very intriguing and thought-provoking songs. And I don't know if I like all of them, but there's one that I particularly resonated with. It's a song entitled United in Grief. And he kind of talks about what it means to grow up in the way that he did in, in, in L.A. And, 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 and what it means to be an African-American with economic duress and difficulties. And so he kind of talks about all this. So let's listen for this. I hope you find some peace of mind in this lifetime. Tell them, tell them, tell them the truth. I hope you find some paradise. Tell them, tell them the truth. What is a house with a better view? A family broken in variables. What is a rapper with jewelry? a way that I show with my maturity what, when, what I call on security. That means I'm calling on God for purity. I went and got me a therapist. I can debate on my theories in sharing it, consolidate all my comparisons, humble enough because time is imperative, starting to feel like it's only one answer to everything. I don't know where it is. Popping a bottle of Claritin is in my head or my arrogance, shaking and moving like, what am I doing? I'm flipping my time through the Rolodex, Indulging myself in my life and my music, the world that I'm in is a cul-de-sac. The world that we in is just menacing, the demons portrayed religionists. I wake up in the morning, another appointment. I hope the psychologist listening. Those last few words, I hope the psychologist listening. So he says, you know, as, as, as an African-American rapper, I grew up with nothing. Now I had to get me a therapist, and that's something that people with money do. And then he says, I hope the psychologist is listening. He's basically saying that with all the money and acquisitions, there are some things that just don't change. There's some inner need that we all have. There's something that, that we, we hope that, I hope somebody's listening to me and to my pent-up cry. I begin with a declaration that I'm really trying to like Elijah. What I found at the end of the process of preparing the sermon is that, uh, that he was in, in very real ways all similar to me. Fearful, vindictive, defensive, blame-shifting, etc., Yet God dealt with him not according to what he deserved, but according to what Christ would embrace as Savior and Redeemer for Elijah and all other cowards and depressed souls and bodies like me, and perhaps you as well. So, this table of the Lord is for all of us who are super freaked out by the fearful circumstances of life. Tough bosses, co-workers, spouses, children, or just life itself. Come and buy this sumptuous meal with no currency except for the one that God himself will provide. Come and partic participate and partake of this anticipatory meal of all meals as we take a little bit of gluten-free bread or grape juice or wine or regular bread, whatever the choice might be. Know that the same Lord who cried out and was deeply overwhelmed by the prospect of life is the same one who is urging all of us to come and he's telling us, take my life. Take my body, take my blood, and in so doing, allow me and let me transform you both here and now and there and then in the world to come. Amen and amen. Let's pray. 
Gracious God, we thank you. We thank you that you're ever near us and with us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that the story of Elijah being overwhelmed by the threat of Jezebel provided some strange comfort for many of us. That here is a prophet who's done some powerful and heroic and extraordinary thing for you and for your glory. And yet, and yet when his life was demanded, he simply ran away. That is so very similar to me, as I assume will be similar to many others. And yet you don't leave us there. You provide us the food, food from heaven, not only the physical food that Elijah ate, but bread from heaven itself, Jesus Christ our Lord. As we come to your table now, may you prepare our hearts in ways that we can never prepare because you have prepared it and fulfilled it in Christ. May we do so with a humble and joyful faith in knowing that you are the one inviting us now. In your name we pray. Amen.